So I want to talk to you this morning about something that you all possess. You all have what I'm about to talk to you about. You all have this. And some of you, at the sight of it, get very squeamish. Like, ugh. And, but you have it. You have it. But if you see it, it will make you squeamish. Some of you might even faint if what's inside of you gets outside of you because it's blood. You all have blood. And maybe because you get squeamish is because if you bleed out, your life bleeds out because there is life in your blood. Your blood is teeming with life. Inside of your body, you have over 30 trillion blood cells. And it's all contained, and get this, one to one and a half gallons of blood. In that small amount of blood, you have over 30 trillion blood cells. And in uh, of those, there's three different types of blood cells. The red blood cells the white blood cells, and platelets. And these three types of blood cells are in a river of plasma that travels throughout your entire body via veins, capillaries, and arteries. Every single organ in your body is dependent on blood. You cannot survive without blood. Your brain can't survive without blood. Your heart can't survive without blood. Your lungs can't survive without blood. Your big toe can't survive without blood. Neither can your little toe. Not your baby finger. Not one part of your body can survive without blood. Now, a red blood cell lives an average of 120 days. And during that time... It will circulate through your body at least 173,000 times. And that's if you're sedentary. That's if you just want to sit down all the time and go, let the blood just flow. But if you exercise, it might even circulate more times. It takes a red blood cell about 60 seconds to circulate throughout your entire body. 30 seconds if you're exercising really, really hard. The red blood cell delivers oxygen and nutrients to every part of your body. And at the same time as it's delivering these vital nutrients, oxygen and other nutrients, it's picking up waste and debris, poisonous carbon dioxide. And if the red blood cell wasn't picking up the carbon dioxide, you would die. You would be poisoned. But it picks up these toxins even as it's delivering the life-giving oxygen. And then the red blood cell returns to the lungs where it dumps it out. And the lungs exhale the carbon dioxide. And then that red blood cell travels to the heart. I'm sorry, the red blood cell travels to the lungs, the other part of the lungs where it receives oxygen, then it's sent to the heart, and the heart then pumps it, like propels it throughout the whole body. 
I'm sorry, it goes to the one part of the heart where it's sent to the lungs to get the oxygen supply, gets it, you know, exhales, then gets the oxygen supply, then goes to the heart, then the heart propels it throughout the body. Propels it throughout the body where it then goes on a long journey again throughout your whole system. Your white blood cells are on the hunt constantly for bacteria, disease, germs, and even cancer cells. All the time, they're looking for it. And when they find one, there's a spy. There's a white blood cell spy, and it goes in, and it eats it. And it actually devours up one of these germs or one of these cancer cells. It takes it into itself, and it makes a replica of it and goes to the T cells. And in the T cells, it makes the perfect anti-weapon to fight against whatever that disease or bacteria or cancer cell is. It makes the perfect defense, the, the perfect counter weapon to take that thing down. And then what it does is it gets all the weaponry and it comes back and it passes that out to the other white blood cells and says, we got this one, guys. Let's do it. But the white blood cells actually eat up the disease and die in the process of getting rid of these germs and these toxins and these cancers. Then there's platelets. Platelets are called platelets because they actually look like plates under the microphone. And when you begin to bleed, the platelets, through a hundred-step chain reaction, come in and build a defense or a shield over the wound so the white blood cells can begin to do their work of protecting from infection and fighting infection. But it builds what we would call a scab. And a scab is the platelets all clotting together. But at the same time, they're clotting on your skin. There's anticoagulants inside that are keeping it from clotting inside a vein or an artery or a capillary, keeping the blood flowing so it can continue to, to heal in that place. In other words, it's like the seal. It keeps the blood in. But all of this, all of this, is traveling in this incredible river that we call plasma. It's the river that the blood cells are carried throughout your body. And this river or plasma has hormones and nutrients and vitamins that it is, that it, that it is giving to your body system as it goes along. And, and it's so incredible that the, the capillaries in your body are formed just so that they can, they can let out nutrients, but they can keep out toxins. It's just this incredible filtration and, and giving system. I mean, it's just amazing. One scientist said if you could cut a capillary open and you could put it under a microscope, it would look like a busy street in India with all the activity that is flowing in just the capillary. But this plasma river also, this river of blood, it keeps your body hormonally regulated and keeps the temperature 
regulated. Keeps your body all the same temperature. It also allows for absorption of vital minerals and vitamins and hormones into every system of your body. Something interesting about blood, it cannot be manufactured. Science has created artificial hearts, artificial limbs, and they have been trying for years and years to create a blood substitute. Because if they could create a blood substitute, they wouldn't have to worry about infected blood at all. I was talking to Ellie um, this morning, and she was talking about how she loves to give blood. I am not allowed to get, be, ever give blood, nor is Brian. And you know why? Or my children. We can never be blood donors. Because between 1996 and the year 2000, we lived in England, and we ate meat. And there is the possibility in our blood of mad cow disease. So we can never give blood. We are banned forever from giving blood. Just because of, you know, we didn't know it. I don't know. We might have been vegans if we'd known that this would be the eventuality. But we got a craving for McDonald's. And now we can never give blood. But science has yet to create a replica of blood. It can't. It can't. And only a transfusion of blood from another human being with a compatible blood type can save a life. In fact, in the, when they first began to experiment with blood transfusions, a lot of people died because they tried to use animal blood and they found that animal blood is absolutely poisonous to a human system. In fact, it's called poison um, in the annals. There is only one universal blood type, you probably know that already, and it's O negative. And it's considered the universal blood type. Anyone with any type of blood can have O negative blood given to them in a transfusion. Blood cells are manufactured in the bone marrow. And when a blood cell is first created, it has a nucleus. But as the red blood cell matures, it loses its nucleus that it might carry more iron hemoglobin that can bind with the oxygen. And it allows the red blood cells to flow through all the veins and all the arteries and all the capillaries with the maximum amount of oxygen for your body. And hemoglobin, or iron, it, it's amazing because it, it attracts the oxygen. It allows the cell to hold on to the oxygen, but it also allows the cell to release the oxygen. Now, I find this fascinating only because when my dad had his stroke, he went um, totally um, powerless on the left side. He lost all ability to feel or to, to move his right hand or his left hand on the left side. And so when he was at the hospital, we kept praying for mobility again to come to the left side. And I remember um, because um, when he did begin to get his mobility back, he said it was just everything was so heavy. 
you know, he had to lift his hand and he had to lift his foot and everything was so heavy. And so my daughter introduced him to Facebook. You know, like, here, Grandpa, since you're stuck at home, here's something you can do. And he's like, oh, Facebook, never heard of this, you know? So she got him on Facebook. She set him up with an account. And she said, now, Grandpa, write a story. And so my dad, it, because his hand was so heavy and it kept hitting all these keys, and he'd be like, my dad, the worst he could ever say was rats. And he kept hitting the keys. We kept, you know, doing it, and he'd have to delete, and he'd be like, rats, rats. Rats. <laughs> that, that's bad. So anyway, it took him four hours to write this story about this parrot that we had when I was a child. It's, I don't know why he chose the story of the parrot that bit Romaine on the ear, but he did. And it took him four hours to write this story about this parrot. And he had just finished the story. And within 10 minutes, he had 2,000 people that had read it. And he looked at it, he goes, close it down, I can't do this. (laughs) But I remember that he could catch a ball, but he couldn't release it. He could catch it, but he couldn't release it. And it's the iron in the red blood cell. And because it shed its nucleus, that it can bind with the oxygen, but it can also release the oxygen. Amazing. Now, the spleen collects any deformed or malfunctioning blood cells and removes them from the bloodstream. Life cannot exist without this life-giving substance. And as Leviticus 17.11 tells us, for the life of the flesh is in the blood And God said, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. Why? Because the blood has life. James Harrison, a name you might not be familiar with, and I know I wasn't before, he he is, he's still alive, an Australian. And when he was 13 years old, he received a blood transfusion. And so when he turned 19, he made a vow that because this blood transfusion saved his life, he would give blood from that day forward. Well, something interesting was discovered about the blood of James Harrison. It had this incredible antibody in the blood itself that was able to kill and destroy rhesus disease in babies. So any baby infected with rhesus disease was given a small transfusion of James Harrison's blood. And that baby then had all the uh, white blood cells had the information then to kill the rhesus and get rid of it. To date, over 2 million babies have been saved by the blood of James Harrison. And that blood, that type of blood, is called an overcomer's blood. Amazing. Hebrews 9, 15 through 22, tells us that Jesus, by means of his blood. Think about it. 
If your blood has this type of power to sustain your life, to get rid of toxins, to kill disease, your tainted blood, or your mad cow blood, as in my case, still has the ability to keep your body functioning, to enable you to walk and move and breathe and have being, how much more the blood of Jesus Christ is untainted, pure blood. It mediated a new covenant for us. Jesus is the mediator, the go-between, the goel, if you would have it, of a new covenant between God and man. Only Jesus could mediate such a covenant. In the book of Job, Job laments and says, oh, if only there was somebody who could plead my case before God. Job realized, I'm not worthy to go before God, but I wish I had somebody to represent me before God and then come and tell me what God wants or what God feels or what God requires. I need a mediator. And that mediation that we desperately need was met in Jesus Christ. And it's his blood that initiated the new covenant, ratified the new covenant, and guarantees the new covenant. Every covenant in the Old Testament was initiated or brought to being and ratified by blood. In verses 16 through 17 of Hebrews chapter 9, we're told about the will, that a will does not come into being, is not really effective, it's just there, it's just a, it's just a desire, it's, it's just a bequeathment until the person who wrote the will dies. And then the benefits of that will are passed to the beneficiaries, but not before the death of the person who did it. So he says, Jesus wrote out a will. He wrote out a will. And all that he earned, all that he merited, all that was his by right of being the son of God, the glory of God himself, all that wealth, all that prestige, he willed to us, to those who believed on his name. In John chapter 17, we have a copy of the last will and testament of Jesus Christ. And then to make that happen, Jesus died, that all the benefits that belong to Jesus might become ours. The author of Hebrews tells us that this first covenant, according to verses 18 through 21, were dedicated by blood. After Moses announced the conditions of the first covenant, he took water, hyssop, and scarlet wool and sprinkled the book of the law, the people, the tabernacle, and the vessels of the tabernacle. In other words, he put all of these things under one 
blood. One blood covered everything. It wasn't that he used a goat's blood for the tabernacle, a bull's blood for the people, a lamb's blood for the vessels of the tabernacle. No, it was one animal's blood that covered it all. Now, the other sacrifices, they required other, um, other animals, but that was different. But this sanctifying blood, this ratifying blood, this covenant initiating blood, it covered everything, absolutely everything. And therefore, it bound the people, the priests, the tabernacle, the vessels in the tabernacle, all under one covenant, one blood. This is the way Moses initiated, ratified, and placed all the people under the agreement and purified all the substances in order to have this agreement with God. So the question is, why blood? Why blood? Well, I started out with telling you how wonderful blood was so you could understand a little bit why blood. Because blood is life-giving, and life-sustaining. Every two seconds in the United States of America, the country I live in, somebody needs a blood transfusion. Oh, somebody needs a blood transfusion. Oh, somebody needs a blood transfusion. Somebody needs a blood transfusion. Somebody needs a blood transfusion. Do you get it? Somebody's life every two seconds is being saved, sustained by a blood transfusion because blood has the ability to give life, sustain life, purify the body from toxins, and to promote life, and even to impart disease-fighting antigens into the bloodstream and the system of somebody. Blood is also the penalty of breaking the covenant. God was saying with this ratification, if somebody breaks this covenant, the only way, the only payment is blood. And it must be the blood of an innocent. That's why it was the blood of an animal and not a person. Because a person intentionally sins. A person knows they've sinned. They're not innocent. Ever since Eve ate that fruit, no one's been innocent. We're all responsible for what we did. Before she had the knowledge of good and evil, she wasn't aware of sin or aware of of what would be sin. But once she ate that and had the knowledge of good and evil, then sin was intentional. But animals do not intentionally sin. I know Barnabas, my dog, he doesn't intentionally sin. When I say, no, Barnabas, he looks at me like, what? I did something wrong? I didn't mean to. I love you, master. In fact, Brian says, he doesn't talk like that. It's not what he sounds like if, if we could understand him. He says, what, master? What is your problem? Brian gives him this noble voice. We fight over sometimes or just kind of discuss 
what we think Barnabas' real voice sounds like, the voice we'll hear in the millennium. One of us believes we'll hear it in the millennium. I won't talk about the other person because he's undecided. But that's why it had to be the blood of an animal. Because an animal was innocent. They didn't have a consciousness of sin. Thus, an animal did not willfully or intentionally sin. But an animal could never really cover sin. It, it, It couldn't get rid of sin. It could only bring a temporary. It could only pay a price. It it was like, it's like you owe this huge debt because of sin, right? And the blood of animals was the interest only, the interest only payments. It was just holding off the creditor, but it wasn't touching the principal. Does that make sense? Or does your husband do the bills? Just asking Neither money could appease the law. The law doesn't say, you you know, you send, like in our system in California, if you break the law, it's $1,000 or it's $2,000. But if you kill someone, you pay with your life, either with a life sentence or the death penalty. Material items could not appease the law. You couldn't say, look, I know I sent, so I'm going to give you my house. You couldn't say, no, I know I sent, so... You know, here's, here's my farm. Here's my wine collection. Here's my olive trees. You couldn't do that. Material items could not appease the law. Good works could not appease the demands of the law. If you owed a debt, it didn't matter how many good works you were doing over here. It did not touch your debt to sin. Sin does not accept material goods. Sin does not accept money. Sin does not accept good works. They could not touch it. But the blood of an innocent animal could hold off the creditor, could only hold off the creditor. The penalty had to be paid by blood. As it says in verse 22, and according to the law, almost all things are purged with blood and without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. Without blood, and that word remission is the Greek word aphesia, and it means emancipation or freedom from a debt. You could not get out of this debt. It required either the death of the sinner because then he wasn't alive anymore, like a person who owes a credit card debt, they die no one can pay it, or of an innocent animal. There was no freedom from sin, no emancipation. The penalty had to be paid by blood. And the blood was applied with water, hyssop, and hyssop is an antiseptic plant known for its healing properties. Today, hyssop is used to treat colds and lung infections and intestinal disorders and a host of other elements. I just wanted to say that because I thought it was interesting. And then scarlet wool. Scarlet wool, not just wool, but, but wool, crimson wool. Wool, the color of blood. In Isaiah 118, God says, come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be like wool. 
Isn't it interesting that it's by water and hyssop and scarlet wool that the blood was applied, sprinkled on the people, applied to the tabernacle, applied to the vessels of the tabernacle? Here is the means by which to initiate, ratify, purify, and reconcile the earthly with the heavenly. So the tabernacle, the sacrifices, the rituals, all mirrored the actual reality. We're told in verse 23 of Hebrews 9. It was all a mirror. It was all a foreshadowing. It was all a preparation. Copies of what God was going to do in the heavens. The tabernacle was a type of the throne of God. And it was to show the people the exclusivity that they couldn't go in, that they were excluded. Even the sacrifices of the animals could not bring the common person in to the holy place, let alone the holiest of all places. And even the priests by sacrifice, the high priest could only go in once a year to the holiest place of all. And then he wasn't able to see. He just went in and sprinkled the blood seven times and left. It was showing to the people of Israel the ineffectuality of the sacrificial system, and yet the need for a mediator, the need for something that would go in deeply and cleanse the conscience. You see, we can't just have blood applied. We need a blood transfusion from Jesus Christ. The actual, the substantial, the original went before the eternal throne of God, and it required a greater sacrifice, a perfect sacrifice, in order to initiate a covenant between God and man, in order to ratify or bring the covenant into being, and to guarantee that this covenant was operational. Again, remember, a blood transfusion of an animal is poisonous to human beings. We needed a universal donor who would volunteer his own blood, the overcomer's perfect, untainted blood that could go to every part of our system and remove the toxins and give the life-imparting oxygen and life into every part of our system. There is a cleansing river of blood. No wonder it it talks about the river, that, that river of Jesus' blood that flows into us. Jesus went to the real throne of God, the actual Holy of Holies, verse 24, to appear before the presence of God for us. And what was required to fulfill the debt was the valuable, the precious, the pure, the universal blood that can be given to any blood type, to any man. 
And once that blood transfusion of Jesus Christ is applied to any man, they are cleansed. They are healed. They have life. Jesus, unlike the high priest, did not need to repeat this action. He did not need to appear with the blood of another that was untainted. But he approached God once at the perfect time with the perfect blood that he brought from his own body to put away sin completely once and for all. In verse 27, we're told, that sin is the reason for all death. First Corinthians fifteen fifty six through 57. The sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Death happens because of sin. And so it's appointed for all of us to die once. And then the judgment, the judgment, that's where it, you know, your, your works are judged and oh my goodness. Christ went, he died once. And when he went to judgment, he was found not guilty, but his blood had been spilled. So he said, I take this untainted blood that had no right to be shed because it had no sin and death had no say on it. And I apply this blood to the debt of all mankind. That mankind might receive this universal transfusion and be emancipated from their sin once for all. Once for all. That's how powerful. That's how effective. That's how pure. That's how perfect. Jesus' blood is. It was able to deal with the sins of mankind forever, forever. In Isaiah 49, 6, God says, speaking of Jesus, my servant, he says, it is too small a thing to restore just Israel. I will make you a light to the Gentiles and salvation to the end of the earth. That's how powerful. God says, no, your blood's so powerful. It's more than enough to restore Israel and to ratify all my plans. I'm going to make this blood available to the ends of the earth, to anyone who wants salvation. Come and receive a transfusion from Jesus Christ. That's how great the blood of Jesus Christ is. Now, Jesus' wealth, Jesus' status, Jesus' righteousness is bequeathed to all of us who believe we receive that blood. We receive that blood. And it says in verse 28, so Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many, to those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. He already dealt with sin. It was appointed once to die. He already died. It's done. It is absolutely done. Sin has been dealt with. 
And now, now we have something much greater to look forward to when Jesus comes. In Ephesians 1, 7, it tells us that in the ages to come, it's going to take the rest of time for God to show us the exceeding riches of his grace through Christ Jesus. In other words, to see all that you've inherited through Jesus Christ, it's going to take eternity. It's going to take all time. And in Ephesians 1.18, Paul prayed that the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened, that you might know the hope of his calling and what the riches of his inheritance in the saints is. In other words, God has such great plans that the blood of Jesus Christ has purchased from us. You see, eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor has it entered into the mind of man, the things that God intends for those who love him. You see, the blood of Jesus Christ, it's not the end of the story that you've been forgiven. The blood of Jesus Christ is now bringing us into the glory. The best is yet to be. The best is yet to come. This is just the initiation. Dear sisters, some of you are still at this place like I'm a lousy sinner and I don't deserve anything. Okay, get over it. It's totally true. But you've been brought in by the riches of his grace. And now it's all good. It's all good. And you can say, wow, I don't deserve it, but it's sure fun. It's sure wonderful, and it's all mine by the cross of Jesus Christ. Paul said, I boast in the cross of Jesus Christ. I don't take any of this glory to myself. I say, I get all this because Jesus is good. I can be thankful every day, and I can possess my possessions. I can love my husband, Brian, freely. I can enjoy my awesome kids because of the cross of Jesus Christ, because this richness is mine because of what Jesus did. No, I didn't deserve it, but that's why it's so great. It's like one Christmas present coming every single day for the rest of my life because of what Jesus has done. You see, when Jesus was on the cross, he was looking, and we'll get to this in chapter 12, at the joy that was before him. In other words, Jesus said, it's worth it. It's worth it for what's coming. It's worth it for what's coming. I remember having surgery. And I remember waking up from the surgery. And what they do is they allow pain to wake you up. Because pain is one of the best ways to prove that you're still alive. And I remember waking up and I started to go into a convulsion. My eyes started, you know, rolling back. And I was in tremendous pain, but I knew I was alive. That I knew. But I remember thinking, I'm so glad I didn't know how painful this would be before I had the surgery. Because the surgery was absolutely necessary. And if anyone had told me that I'd be in this much pain, I'd say, that's okay. I'll just die with this thing. <laughs> you know, don't touch me. And I'm so glad I didn't know. But now it's over and it's behind me and I'm free and I can get healthy. Dear sisters, you've had the blood transfusion. You've been forgiven. Now you can get healthy. Now you can get healthy. Now it's about healing. Now it's about stepping into 
all the things that God intends for you. The blood of Christ not only removes the toxins constantly, it's constantly circulating to remove the toxins, but it also is delivering vital nutrients to every system of your body that you can praise, that you can see, that you can breathe, that you can hear, that you can think. It's constantly at work. That's why blood. So that you would know that the blood of Jesus Christ, according to 1 John, continually cleanses us from sin. It is eternally working in us, cleansing us until our system is completely purged of all sin. And that happens the moment we shed this human nature and our eyes see Jesus. We will be 100% emancipated. Isaiah 11 and Isaiah 35 give us a glimpse of what the earth will look like when we are emancipated from sin and Jesus returns. This is the better covenant. These are the better promises that we've received through the redemption of the transgression of the old covenant. You see, the old covenant could only tell us how unworthy we were, how bad we were, how desperately we needed a mediator, how desperately we needed a sacrifice, how toxic our system was. But now, the blood of Jesus Christ, this new covenant is speaking to us of greater, better things. Things right now and things yet to come. Jesus did for us what the first covenant could only foreshadow, could only point to, could only paint a picture of, could only, could only hint at. I was um, thinking this morning of the hymn, Rock of Ages, that says, not the labor of my hands can fulfill thy law's demands. Could my zeal, could I be so enthusiastic and just keep working at it for the rest of my life, Could my zeal no respite know? Could my tears forever flow? Could I feel really bad and sorry and mourn over my sins for the rest of my life? All for sin could not atone. Jesus must save and Jesus alone. Jesus mediated for us the best covenant, not just a covenant. Moses mediated a covenant, but it had issues and it had problems. But Jesus mediated for us an eternal, a redeeming covenant with better promises and an eternal inheritance and a hope that is coming, a great expectation. And he did it in the most effective way, in the most effective place, with the most effective agency, by the most effective way. This new covenant forgives our sins forever. It pays off the debt, and we no longer owe the debtor. It reconciles us to God, 
and allows us into the holiest place of all and a relationship with God whereby we can call him Abba. And it guarantees to us all the promises and all the glory that belong to Jesus alone becomes ours through Christ. And this covenant was ratified by blood, by the purest, overcoming, universal blood of the greatest donor that has ever lived. And it is applied by the water of his word. When we read the word of God, we are applying the blood of this covenant to our system. We are transfusing ourselves with this life-giving blood. By hyssop, the tree of Calvary, and by the scarlet wool, the blood-soaked lamb of Calvary. For those who receive this covenant, there is a certain and eager anticipation of when Jesus comes again. This covenant guarantees an even greater future and the emancipation, purification, and blessing of God to all creation. Oh, what glory is ours through the blood of the Lamb. Don't stop at just the forgiveness. Don't keep berating yourself as a lousy, rotten sinner. Instead, say, I am a blood-bought daughter, a priest to my God that has 24-7 access to the very throne room of God. I have been purified. I have been washed. My conscience has been cleansed. My heart has been transformed. And I no longer identify with my sins, but I identify with the cross of Jesus Christ. As Paul says in Galatians, where I died to the world and the world died to me. I am, by virtue of the blood of Jesus Christ, the sanctified, transformed daughter of God. And so are you. In January, I got my new driver's license. After 18 years of having the same picture, which was pretty good, I had to get a new picture with my new face, which is an older face, for a real ID because my old driver's license is no longer good for traveling. It no longer guarantees who I am. And when I went to the DMV, where the nicest people on earth do not work, (laughs) I have to say, the person who took my picture was really nice. I found one. But when I went to the DMV, they required my birth certificate, my social security card, my passport, my old driver's license, and some form that showed I actually lived at the house I live at. I had to bring a bill. I had plenty. In order to prove that I am that person on that. And then I received a real identity. A real identity that proves I am 
I am the person on that card, and I do live where that person says. And that face on that card is what I now look like. But I was thinking that whole time, because I had to go through five different lines. I'm just preparing you. It's happening. You're going to need this by 2020. I was thinking about how I have a new identity, a better identity, with a better picture. (laughs) Through the blood of Jesus Christ. A new identity. And my new identity doesn't just get me on a plane. It gets me the best transport possible to heaven, to glory, where I am accepted, where there's a place prepared for me so that I can eagerly anticipate Jesus coming, not be in fear or dread, but eagerly anticipate because of my new identity in Jesus Christ. Dear sisters, are you living under the identity of the blood of Christ. You see, are you saying, I'm a rotten sinner? Or are you saying, man, that blood of Jesus Christ is so effectual? What are you doing? Where's your focus? Where's your focus? See, if you're saying, I'm such a rotten sinner, you're self-centered. You're prideful. I know, because I, I am too. I've done it. That's not to be our focus. Our focus is to say that blood of Jesus Christ was so great, so strong, so powerful. It changed me. It gave me a new identity. It gave me greater access. It changed my heart. It cleansed my conscience. It took my toxins away. Put your concentration on the greatness of the blood of Jesus Christ. This is what the author of Hebrews is saying, stop identifying yourself with your sin and your old rottenness. Identify yourself with the blood of Jesus Christ. Because you see, when you say I'm a rotten sinner, you're saying that blood wasn't that effectual. I have to keep doing something or reminding myself that I'm rotten. You don't. But you can remind yourself, I'm forgiven. I'm washed. I'm cleansed. I've got the spirit of God, the living God living in me. I am not who I was. Are you living in your true identity? Have you gotten your real identity card from Jesus Christ yet? Or are you still living under the condemnation of your old identity by that old picture? Sisters, will you stand up right now? And we're going to ask Jesus to help us to identify ourselves because we're women and we tend to identify ourselves with the worst of the worst. Because we do this because we're women. And it's time, women, to receive our new identity. Dear friends, dear sisters, we're all in this together. Same blood sprinkled over all of us. We're in this together. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that we will no longer identify ourselves as ugly, rotten sinners, but we will identify ourselves as the beloved, transformed, emancipated, redeemed, being glorified daughters 
of the blood of Jesus Christ. We have been redeemed. We have been saved. We are being transformed. We are every day having the toxins removed from every part of our body. Every cell, the toxins are being removed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Every day by the blood of Jesus Christ, our sins, our diseases are being eaten up and overcome. Every day by the blood of Jesus Christ, our lives are being regulated and peace is coming and flowing in health to every part of our being. By the blood of Jesus Christ, we are being oxygenated. We are being refreshed and renewed. Lord, when Satan comes to us with that condemnation, just like he did to me this morning, this morning, you know, Lord, you came to me and you said, Cheryl, that's not how I talk to you. Cheryl, that's not my voice. Cheryl, I'm the God who loves you. I'm your redeemer. I'm your sanctifier. I'm your health. I'm your toxin remover. I'm your transfusion. I'm your life. I'm your joy. I'm your peace. Cheryl, Don't look at the past, but see the future through the glorious cross and emancipating blood that I spilled, that I shed, that I presented before my Father in heaven. Lord, remind us, show us who we are. May we walk in the joy of our true identity and not under the condemnation of the past. And we ask for this in the precious name and because of the blood, the effectual, powerful, initiating, ratifying, great blood of Jesus Christ. Amen.